Cool. So we've been going on this little journey of, as a congregation, reading through the Word of God with the assistance and help of the children's Bible app. So if you, maybe just for the guys visiting, we really felt we've had all these incredible words over us as a congregation about being a people grounded in the Word and kind of having these teachers and people rise up out of us. And uh, one of the ways we felt to to just get to grips with that is to start really wrestling with the Word. And uh, we've got this amazing little children's Bible app that we've been going through with our kids, and we've seen such life and growth come out of it. And uh, so we as a congregation have been reading through the Bible with this app because it's super doable and easy and kind of bite-sized. And just as a congregation together, we can kind of go through this thing. But one thing we really didn't want to do is have a year of reading the Bible as like, that's what we're going to do. Because I don't know what the Holy Spirit is going to be doing next week. And so I don't want to limit and box him. So the idea was that we're going to be reading through the Word of God as kind of a scaffold for our year. But then allow the Holy Spirit to move and speak to us through that because he is the one who makes the Word come alive. And as he highlights things, that we would sort of zero in on that and go and wrestle actually with the word and see what he's doing. And uh, we started, as all things do in the beginning, in Genesis. And um, so maybe just to recap quickly over what we went through last week was this big idea that everything had been created through God, that basically nothing that has been created was not created by God. Everything that exists was made by him. And that we were made by and for God, we're made in his image to be like him, that we were made for relationship with him, that we were made on purpose for a purpose, and that that purpose was to know him and to be known by him. God looked at everything he had made and he said, it's good when he made it. It was good. It was perfect. It was beautiful. But then sin enters the world through Adam and Eve and disobedience kind of breaks out. And through this disobedience, what God has made good is suddenly corrupted by sin. And man is put out of the Garden of Eden. Death enters the picture where we had been made for eternity. We'd been made for an eternity with Jesus on this earth, living and alive. Suddenly, death enters into the picture. And as things do, like man is told to go forth and multiply. And so he does. But because man's nature is now fallen, he reproduces after himself. And so we are all, as human beings, born into sin. It is a part of us when we're born. We're just born into it. And that our battle is now our mortal flesh, which is warring against our spirit. It is the corrupted flesh warring against the spirit that actually wants to know and love God. But the good news is that God had a plan from the very beginning to rescue us and to redeem us and to redeem what Satan had corrupted in us because he made us for himself and he wants us back. That's the big picture. God made you. You're made by him, for him. He wants you back. The enemy wants to try and reform you in his image. And so today we're going to we're going to talk a little bit about this big idea of sin. Like, what is sin? What does it mean for us? And before you tap out, I'm not here to tell you you suck. 
and that you're a terrible person. I'm not here to break you down. It is important that we actually talk about sin and understand it. Let me give you a, I'm not here to be a judge of killjoy and tell you you're all sinners, but I want to use a picture. So Kuzi over there, you all know him. Amazing. I was loving your faith and excitement this morning. So you guys all remember the story of, of Kuzi's hand that he cut. He got a little cut and he got a little bit of infection in it and a little bit of corruption started to affect his whole hand and then started to affect his whole body and the tiniest little speck of impurity in him almost cost him his hand and if he hadn't dealt with it, would have cost him his life. So when Kuzi went to the doctor and showed them his hand, the doctor looked at it and said, Kuzi, sorry to tell you, man, you have some corruption in your hand. Was the doctor being a killjoy? Was he being judgy? Was he being unkind? What was his motivation? Money. It's <laughs> good. He wanted to heal him. He wanted to heal Kuzi. So he had to point out the thing that was slowly killing him. So when we talk about sin and this corruption in our flesh, that is the picture we use. That is why it's important to address it. And sin and our sin is important for two reasons. This thing, it's important to talk about it for two reasons. The first one is that our sin outside of Christ, that it separates us from God. We were made by him, for him. Sin enters the picture and it corrupts and breaks that thing. So in Isaiah 59, verse 1 to 2, it says, Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear. But your iniquities, your sin, have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. So God is powerful enough and mighty enough to save. He is. It's clear there. But it is our sin that separates us from him. It is our sin that makes him not hear us. It is our sin that causes his face you know, to be hidden from us. Before you feel like I'm just singling you out and I'm standing up here and calling everyone else a sinner, none of us are innocent. So Romans 3 verse 23, it says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, even me. Shock horror. So it cuts us off from God, and it is all of us. That's why we have to talk about it. And so what is sin? How do I know when I'm sinning? What counts as in the sin camp, what counts as not in the sin camp. And there's, I'm going to summarize it for you. So Romans 1 to 3 paints this big kind of picture of what sin is, and it's a very sometimes difficult to read piece of scripture. So we've kind of summarized it nicely. I borrowed this from John Piper, who is a phenomenal teacher, and he just has a succinct, beautiful little definition of what sin is. And it is any feeling or thought or speech or action that comes from a heart that does not treasure God over all things. Okay. 
any feeling or thought or speech or action that comes from a heart that does not treasure God over all things. And the root of sin is such a heart, a heart that does not treasure God over all persons and all things. So the minute something starts to creep in that either wants to take the place of God or wants to corrupt and twist something that God has made and we act on that, it becomes sin. So things like the glory of God not honored is sin. The holiness of God not reverenced. The greatness of God not admired. The power of God not praised. The truth of God not sought. That was a word that came through this morning. The wisdom of God not esteemed. The beauty of God not treasured. The goodness of God not savored. The faithfulness of God not trusted. The promises of God not believed. The commandments of God not obeyed. The justice of God not respected. The wrath of God not feared. The grace of God not cherished. The presence of God not prized. Or the person of God not loved. These things that creep into our heart, that take what is rightfully his, that is sin. Ultimately, it's a rejection of who he is and of who he made us to be in him. It's anything that competes with the truth, that we were made in his image, by him, for him, to be known by him and to know him. These are the things that rob us of the connection to God. And we covered this last week about how even the devil was created. So nothing has been created that was not created by God. And the devil, he can't make anything new. All he can do is come and corrupt and twist what is already there. And that's how he operates. That's how his lies and his deceptions Work. It takes something that is 90% true and adds a little bit of poison that kills us. He takes things like sex, which is a beautiful thing made by God, and he corrupts it. He takes our nature that's to rule and to reign, and he corrupts it so that we become greedy, power-hungry people. He takes things like a righteous anger, and he turns it into just aggression. He takes all these things that God has made, and he just twists them. But does the devil make you sin? Does he kind of come in and take over and just, you know, the devil made me do it? No. All authority on heaven and earth has been granted by God. There is no authority that exists outside of what God has given. So even the devil, he derives his authority from God, and it is not limitless. Even his authority in our lives is limited to a point. So the best he can do is come and try and take our natures and to turn them against us and against God. So he comes and he messes with who we're supposed to be. He comes and, like, I've got a weakness for something. He comes and he tries to exploit that thing. So he will tempt and he'll twist, but he cannot make me do anything. Right, but he does know our nature, and we are in his territory. So the world belongs to him. This is his camp. You know, we are in this world, but we're not of it. So we are behind enemy lines, 
but we're something different. We live for a different kingdom. We have a different authority in us, and we are able to fight and to resist him. And when it comes to sin, people, we, we often think of it as this battle of self-denial. Like, I'm going to, you know, just not have fun. I'm going to take all, like, the nice things and just not have fun. And that's actually the wrong picture. Because what the devil does is, is he has corrupted what is good and made it not good. So we were made to desire things. We were actually made to be passionate, to want, to love, to you know, be attracted to enjoy beauty, to we were made for these things. And the enemy comes and he sort of twists those. And so the idea is not that we just shut down and stop having fun and totally just stop appreciating any of the nice, fun, beautiful things in life. No. It's actually the desire for something more is how we fight sin. The desire to walk in the fullness of what God has called us to the desire to walk in the fullness of what he's made us to be, the desire to enjoy the beautiful things that he's made them within the boundaries that he's made them so that they are safe and good and healthy for us. Classic picture, I love chocolate. There's a very safe boundary there for me in how much of it I eat. Okay, That's kind of the picture. If I just eat lots of it, I'm going to kill myself. I'm going to take something that's good, but in too much, it's kind of unhealthy and, you know, it'll kill me. And so what I often wrestled with as a young believer is this idea that I'm now this new creation in Christ. So Jesus, he died on the cross. He's saved me. He's paid for the weight of my sin. And I now get to walk in life and relationship with him. And I love that moment of getting saved and experiencing salvation. And I walked right out of that building and found that I'm still sinning. Like, what is this thing? I thought I was free. Why am I not free? Why am I not killing this thing? Why has it still got a hold on me? And what I love is this idea of new birth. If you look at a little baby, lots of them cruising around here, you'll notice they didn't drive here. Yeah, they came here in prams. Some of them are still wearing nappies. Like as babies, some of the most basic functions of what they're called to be as human beings, they're still learning and they're wrestling with and they're working and growing and exercising and striving to walk into what they've been born to be. And so, you know, while they're young, they wear nappies and have little dummies, and as their teeth are growing, they're learning to chew and eat different foods. And so we as Christians even, we have been born. We are these new beings, these new creations in God, but we are born babies. And then we grow into the things that he's called us to be. And we've got to do the same things. We've got to struggle to learn to walk and to chew and to not mess on ourselves, and to grow into these fully-fledged adults in Jesus. And it is a lifelong journey. You will have figured out by you now, most of you, that you're never done learning. You're always learning something new. You're always growing into something new in your physical body and intellect and emotions. And it's the same for us as Christians. But it's interesting because the Bible has got what feels like these paradoxes. You know, paradoxes like two big ideas that 
are both true but seem to oppose each other, how do we fit both of these things into one place? And it's very interesting because a lot of them are in the same place. So I'm just going to run through some of these to give you an idea of what this battle looks like. So you don't have to put these up, Kev. I'm going to run through them quite quickly. So 1 John 3 verse 9, it says, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. Okay, who's walking in the fullness of that? So what does that mean? Are you not born of God? The same book in 1 John 1 verse 8 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So what does this now mean? I'm not supposed to make a practice of sinning, but if I say I'm not sinning, I'm deceiving myself. Romans 6 verse 6, it says, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. But it also says in Romans 6 verse 11 to 12 that you must consider or reckon yourselves dead to sin and alive in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign. Colossians 3 verse 3, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Colossians 3 verse 5 says, put to death therefore what is earthly in you. So you're starting to see the picture here. There is a truth of who you are in Christ. And then there's what they call an imperative, which is this is what you got to do to learn to grow and walk into that truth. 1 Peter 1 verse 23, it says, You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, perishable, through the living and abiding word of God. The same passage says, So put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander, and like newborn infants long for spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up into salvation. And so there's this beautiful picture of God saying, you were born and created for eternity and for relationship and for life with me. Sin entered and messed that up and became your master. But then you meet Jesus and he breaks the power of that sin. But there is a battle that we still have to walk in to fully put it to death. So the reality is now for me as an ex-addict, I was an addict enslaved to alcohol and to drugs. I couldn't break free of it. And then I got saved. And suddenly the power of that thing was broken. But I didn't immediately stop. I had to wrestle and fight my way through that thing, which was still a part of my flesh. I had to put to death the flesh in me to be able to walk actually in the fullness of what God had called me to, which is someone free of these things. And now I'm able to do that. But there are other battles that suddenly I'm finding I still have to face. And the truth of it is that I'm going to be doing that until the day I die. But what the enemy likes to do is come and say, yeah, you're a Christian. Okay, confession time. I had a moment this week where I just totally lost patience with my wife. And I spoke to her in a way that was not actually honoring to who she is in God and the entrustment that he's put on me to look after and care for her. What does that mean? Am I not saved? Have I lost the work of the cross in that moment? 
No. It's an area of my flesh that I'm still trying to learn to put to death. I'm still wrestling with it. So what I love about these passages is, um, and again, this is, um, yeah, someone else's summary of, of what the new Christian is. And it's such a, you know, this new creation in Christ. And it's this idea that what we were born into is one thing. So we were born into the sinful world. Our nature was born sinful, but that is not what we were made to be. So by my grace and my power and what I've done in the cross, walk in what I've given you. Walk in the road I've made for you. And so this new creation brings into being an embattled, not yet perfect, spirit-empowered, persevering, Christ-treasuring, sin-hating, new being in Christ. Love that. Like we're embattled. So much of the New Testament speaks about war and this fight between flesh and spirit, why do we get so surprised suddenly when we find ourselves in the middle of a fight? It's like, were you not warned? Did you not see it there? Fights are hard. Fights hurt. Fights cost us. Fights make us feel tired. But the beautiful thing is that the fight, you know, the outcome is guaranteed. I think we sometimes misunderstand even the fight between God and the devil. It's not like there's this battle raging and like we're waiting to see who's going to win. Now I know who's going to win. The battle is already won. Satan has been dealt a death blow. It's time, his clock has started. It's going to run out. The victory is God's already now. He's just living in the death throes. Like his back is broken, but he's not yet dead. There is no uncertainty about who's going to win the battle. And for us who are in Christ, there is no uncertainty about who's going to win the battle if we keep ourselves in Christ. But it really is a battle, and we have to fight it every day. I love that passage in Romans where it says you must consider yourself dead to sin. What that means is you're going to look at your life and see, wow, I'm not fully dead to sin. But you need to consider, you need to make yourself, reckon yourself dead to sin. You've got to fight these things. I know I have a problem with impatience. So now I've got to fight that thing. In Christ, in him, I've got to fight that thing. And the beauty of it is that I'm not killing impatience so that Jesus is going to love me. While I was still a sinner, he died for me. The point of his death was so that I wouldn't have to pay the penalty for my impatience, but also so that by his grace I could learn to overcome it. And so there are these big, complicated words for these phases that we go through as Christians. They are justification, sanctification, and glorification, but those, you know, are big words. The much easier one called the three Ps, which is the penalty, the power, and the presence of sin. And what I love is through what Jesus did on the cross, we have been set free from the penalty of sin. The life I lived before I knew Jesus, 
like not even just in Christian terms, in general terms, I probably should have just been taken out of this planet for a lot of the stuff I'd done before I knew him. Let alone what Jesus actually saw in my heart and what was going on in my heart and my mind. But what I love is this idea of justification or someone having paid the penalty for my sin in Romans 5.17. It sums it up so beautiful. It says, For if by the trespasses of one man, so through what Adam did, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. One man brought sin into the world. One man paid the penalty for it so that we could have life in him. And suddenly this option of eternity, which was robbed from us in the Garden of Eden by our own sin, is back on the table. It's like, hey, we could possibly again walk in what God made us for, to be in relationship with him, to know him and be known by him. The thing that separated us, the thing that we read in Isaiah that made us not able to commune with God, someone paid the price for that, this person of Jesus, so that we can have life with him again. And so the penalty is paid. I love that. The second one is this idea of the power of sin. That's this thing called sanctification. And it's this idea that on the cross, Jesus won a decisive victory over Satan. So that battle is won already. There's no uncertainty over who's going to win. Jesus has already won this victory. The enemy has been defeated. His days are numbered. His destiny is certain. Even he one day is going to take a knee and bow to Jesus. And when we become born again, we were born into sin because man reproduced after his own kind. My parents were sinful. Their parents were sinful. I am born sinful. My children were born sinful. For those of you who have ever had kids, it's this alarming moment as a parent where you have this little baby and they're so beautiful and they look so innocent and they're lying there with their little pink cheeks. And then suddenly in a moment, like, they lie to you. And no one's taught them. Like the thought, I'm like, where did that come from in you? Or they like take something that's not, theirs. They just throw an absolute fit. No one teaches them this stuff. It is built in, like they're born into this thing, and so are we. And that sounds really depressing and sad, and like, man, there's no hope for us. It's literally in our DNA. But then we're born again in Christ. You have the second birth, and suddenly we're born into a new DNA which is this person of Jesus. And we're born into the victory that he had over the enemy. We're born into the victory that he had over death. And sin's death grip on us is broken. The back of it 
is broken, but it's not yet dead. It's still lying there, twitching and kicking and taking the odd swipe at us. And so it tells us in Philippians 2, verse 12 to 13, that we need to continue to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. You have to work out this thing that God has given us. For it is God who works in you to will and act in order to fulfill his good purpose. This is the beautiful thing. As we are made and being remade into his image again, he works in us by his power, by the Holy Spirit, to change even the things we want and the desires of a heart to want what he wants. And the good news about this whole battle that we've been freed from the penalty of sin. We've got victory over the power of sin and that the power of sin has been broken. And there is coming a day when we will be set free from the presence of sin. And that is the day I'm living for. It's not going to happen in this lifetime. It's the bad news. But the good news is that it is the end result of this lifelong battle that we're going to face of putting to death the flesh and the sin in us. And I want to read you this passage in 2 Timothy 4, verse 6 to 8. This is Paul, who has lived a life of just putting to death his flesh, and he knows that his time is near. You know, for some... We don't always have this knowledge. Sometimes just in a moment we're taken out of this planet in an accident or whatever. But Paul sees the end coming and he has this assurance. I often look at this, this assurance he has and I'm like, Jesus, I want that. And he says, for I am already being poured out like a drink offering and the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. He has battled his whole life and he's fought this thing and he can see the finish line and he's kept his faith. And he says, now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. You're like, that's nice for you, Paul. Sounds amazing. But not only to me but also to all who have longed for his appearing. That assurance, I have run the good race, I have fought the fight, I have kept the faith. I know I'm going to Jesus and I know what he's going to say to me when he sees me. I want that kind of confidence. I hope I get to see my end drawing near, but I might not. But the Apostle Paul is free of the presence of sin. Will Marais is free from the presence of sin. All of those we've loved and lost who've known Jesus are with him now, free from the presence of sin. And it is the end result of a lifelong battle in the trenches every day against it. I don't always get this right. I really don't. At least once a day, I fail <laughs> in this battle. 
But you know, the Word of God talks about how His mercies are new every single morning. I love that. I'm trying to train myself to do this when I wake up, to like wake up and be like, Jesus, thank you for new mercy. Because man, I'm going to need it in my day. I'm going to need it in my battle. We all will. The beauty is that God has been planning to rescue us from this thing from the start of time. His plan is the person of Jesus, who pays the penalty and has broken the power. It is the Holy Spirit working in us that enables and equips us to do this. And when we do get it wrong, which we will, there is new mercy every single day for us. But it is hard. And you do take shots in the battle. And you know what I'd love to do? We're going we're gonna to land now, now, but none of us are in that final stage of being absent from the presence of sin. But that idea of the penalty of sin, even as I'm talking, like, I wonder if there's someone here who you're suddenly not sure if that price and penalty has been paid for you. That you don't have an assurance that if you were to see Jesus now, that your sins are covered and paid for. And the way they're covered and paid for is by accepting what he did on the cross, by recognizing the fact that you have sinned. I'm not saying that to condemn you. His word says that all have sinned. So if you're in this room, you have sinned. But has the penalty and the price for it been paid? in that one man, Jesus, who died on the cross for the sake of your sins so that you could have life and relationship with Jesus. If you don't know for a fact that you fall into that camp of having accepted him as your Lord and Savior with the price having been paid, I'd love for you just to put your hand up if you feel like you would like to actually accept that offer. Exchange your sin and your shortcoming for his righteousness and his goodness. No one's kind of looking around and you don't need to be embarrassed. Okay, it's amazing. Come on. The second camp is the power of sin. And I feel like there are many of us, and I'll say I am one of those who I recognize that the power of sin still has an active role in my life and that I have to fight this thing. But if you feel like you are not winning that fight and you don't know that you can, and maybe you've even lost a little bit of heart where you've just been smacked down so many times that you are just tired and have tapped out of fighting it even. I would love to invite you to get back into the fight not out of your own strength, but equipped and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Because you have to fight it. You are in the battle. There are no neutral parties. There is no Switzerland here. You are in the war. But if you just feel like you have laid down, in a sense, your 
weapons and have stopped fighting and have actually just given in to this thing and given it way too much authority. And I feel like there's an opportunity here this morning to actually pray that the Holy Spirit would come and re-equip you and re-inspire you to get back in the fight.